Founded in 1993, the Claire Booth Luce Center for Conservative Women's Mission is to prepare women for effective leadership and promote leading conservative principles. This week, the organization's president, Michelle Easton, offers her thoughts on how to pass down conservative values to young women. Uh, young women who think a lot about self-esteem, and we hear a lot about this in the schools, especially the government schools. Okay, well, self-esteem is, is okay, and this is, this is uh, not unimportant. However, self-worth is a totally different concept, and that's the chapter, self-worth flows from God, not government. It's, it's this idea that... Um, that it's the most important concept, I think, for a girl to understand, knowing that she is uniquely made and unconditionally loved by God will be a cornerstone of conservatism. She's interviewed by Independent Women's Forum President Carrie Lucas. More in a moment. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Well, Michelle, I want to thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm really excited to get to talk about um, your book, How to Raise a Conservative Daughter. Um, and I, I first I want to say it's so funny because I feel like when I first heard about this, I thought, gosh, this is a book that's written exactly for me. You know, I am a conservative. Um, I've got five kids, um, three of whom are daughters. My littlest is um, is nine. My oldest daughter is 15. Um, so I thought, like, I am your target market. And I so enjoyed um, enjoyed reading it. So first, I just wanted to say thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for uh, for having me on. You're truly blessed to have five children. I'll tell you that. <laughs> That's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I, I feel like there's a lot of people who are really hungry for, for this information. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like um, there's a lot of parents who, who need advice. I just hope that before we kind of get into the substance of the, the book, we could talk a little bit about what motivated you to, to write it and why at this this moment? Um, was there a particular reason why you just said, this is the time I'm going to start writing this? Well, um, 28 years ago, I founded this institute to uh, the Center for Conservative Women to prepare and promote uh, conservative women leaders. Not that we didn't have great conservative women leaders, but way back then, I don't think we promoted our leaders as well as we do now, and we certainly didn't hold them up as role models for young women. So this was after 12 years of uh, President uh, Reagan and then President Bush, and you know what to do. I'm an attorney. I really cared about school choice and education issues, but it seemed like there was a need back then to focus on our great conservative uh, women leaders and to use them as role models. So all these years, I've been working with young women, thousands of them, um, hundreds that I've gotten close to. And over those years, it's it's always been incredible to me how sharp, how smart, how articulate, how gracious some of these young women are in college. And so I started to notice some common things that had happened in their upbringing, in their families. And at the same time, many of our supporters and other friends had how do these young women turn out so wonderfully? And I thought, I need to write a book. I need to share what I've learned over these years about 
a good a good way to raise a, a young woman into a smart, articulate conservative. It's not a guarantee. There's no guarantees. But, you know, back in the old days, back when I was growing up, if your family was conservative and you regularly went to church or synagogue, you had a pretty good shot that your kids, your girls would turn out conservative. It's not that way anymore, Carrie. You know that. Um, the popular culture, the toxic social media, the indoctrination in many of the schools, the entertainment industry, which just seems to go to the lowest level sometimes. It's not a fair fight <laughs> unless you do more as a parent. So that's what the book's about. It's a, it's 11 chapters and I lay out a number of different areas where it's not that you're lecturing or pounding on your daughter, but you're designing, helping her design her life uh, in ways that are naturally going to turn her into a conservative, or at least you'll have a better shot than if you just sat back and did nothing. You really can't just sit back and do nothing. And like my parents did way back, you can't do that anymore because yeah. the world is such a different place. So that's why I wrote it. And uh, I just, uh, I'm so grateful for the response I've gotten from people so far. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. You know, um, I know that you have, um, you have three sons of your own and I'd be curious just kind of, because um, I know you've been incredibly, and I think there is, especially among us conservatives, we know that we need to do a better really be focused on reaching out to women. And there is a reason to kind of um, talk to women, kind of focus on them or <laughs> single yes. women out. But I'd be yes. curious if you did kind of to, to open this up or before to set this up before we talk about those kind of the lessons you provide parents. Um, you, what are the differences? Um, do you think there's something unique about the challenges or of um, the present girls and parents of girls versus um, boys? Well, boys can be tough too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm number three, two, right? <laughs> three teenage boys, and God bless them, they're good. They're all grown up now, but I won't say there weren't some tremendous challenges. You know, they go, they go right up to the line, and then they go over. <laughs> but um, I've been working with girls for 28 years. Um, you know, I didn't get to raise a daughter, and I do think that in some ways it's a little tougher because not only do you have the left um, and liberals and you know, hate America people, but you have this whole group of women called feminists, radical feminists, not every woman who calls herself a feminist is radical, but the leadership of these groups are telling women, not men, mostly women, things they must do to be happy in life. And in many cases, they're just dead wrong. So yeah, I think it's a little tougher uh, to raise daughters, but as I said, raising three sons, that's tough too. But somebody yeah. else can write that book because I've been working with young women for 28 years. <laughs> no, that, there you go. Well, let's get into, um, I want to get into some of the advice you have. And I found it really interesting that um, your first chapter and kind of this, the book begins by being grounded um, in faith and this idea of, of kind of um, encouraging a relationship with God as the starting point of raising a conservative yes. daughter. And I wanted to hear like what, what made you, why did you start there? Right. Well, first, let me say, I'm not saying if you're an atheist, you can't be conservative, but I think it's a lot harder because the core principles of conservatism, religious faith and freedom are inextricably linked. Um, they're linked in a policy sense. They're linked in a, in a personal sense with young women, uh, young women who, think a lot about self-esteem, and we hear a lot about this in the schools, especially the government schools. Okay, well, self-esteem is, is okay, and this is, this is uh, not unimportant. However, self-worth is a totally different concept, and that's the chapter, self-worth flows from God, not government. It's, it's this idea that, um, 
that it's the most important concept, I think, for a girl to understand, knowing that she is uniquely made and unconditionally loved by God will be a cornerstone of conservatism. And it's, it's, it's something that goes with the policy at the same time. This notion that, you know, uh, the government uh, can substitute for God. Well, I would argue, no, that's really not so. Um, so much of what is conveyed to young women, though, in a policy sense, affirmative action, uh, you know, government funded this and that, uh, it really, it really does um, suggest that, that that's where, that's where things uh, come from in life, when in fact, um, dependency on government, it fuels uh, socialism and uh, leftist beliefs. In a sense, government is the God, um, and they don't need this, uh, this God that uh, religious people uh, uh, look to. So, yeah, religion is a cornerstone. It's the first chapter. It's very, very important. A young woman who believes she's uh, uniquely made and and very special, a special individual from God, is going to be much less susceptible to cultural influences. I mean, self-esteem. Think about self-esteem. Is um, it's it's you tend to look to it's, it's you have a self-satisfaction and you tend to look to others uh, for for that for that. Where self-worth is your own uh, your own worth as a human being. Uh, how you were created by God, and it's it's really quite different, <laughs> and it affects her personally, and it affects a lot of uh, the policy views. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I really loved. I thought that was such a, an important um, kind of conversation, and one that I wasn't, I hadn't heard before. With this, the the, the difference between um, self esteem and this kind of fundamental concept of self worth, and I actually think. What I found, because I, I know that you didn't want people who were not religious to kind of close the book and say, okay, well, I'm, you know, I'm lost if I can't, if I'm, um, if I'm, if I can't, if I don't start with that cornerstone of re religion. Um, but I thought it was interesting, and that was some place where I do think that somebody can start. And I, I was thinking to myself, because I have a lot of friends who aren't conservative but are worried about raising their daughters to be right. good, strong right. people, you know, for, right. regardless of political beliefs. And I did think that that was this concept of of self-worth that comes from within that is not contingent on other people's views right. was an incredibly powerful that's right yeah building block and, and i advise parents even if you're not devout yourself take her to church or synagogue take her to religious gatherings so she can soak it up so she can learn it um and then she can decide um there's lots of parents who get busy you know they just don't have time for the services or they don't feel it that deeply. It doesn't matter. Let your daughter be a part of that. Um, and and let her decide as she as she soaks it in, as she feels the love of, of God. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's a, well, you know, I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, we're talking about girls, and it's funny as you, um, even you know, a year ago, I think probably, if, if you were starting to write this or conceive of this, it was probably a less fraught conversation then than it is today. Um, and I do think your most controversial chapter is number five, and it's entitled "A Woman's Differences Are Her Strengths." Yeah. And I think it's kind of important to, yeah. um, I want to talk a little bit about like this moment of of the concept of being a woman or a girl. Um, and appreciating the concept of sex differences. Like, do you think, like, tell me a little bit about what you think about this, the moment and kind of the state of the conversation around girlhood um, to begin with. Well, you know, the popular culture, you hear it a lot in the media is, you know, men and women are just the same. Well, no, we're not. We're quite different. different. And I would suggest that parents teach their daughters to celebrate the differences. For starters, there's no intellectual differences between men and women, but there are many differences between us. 
you know, the, um, the, the breathtaking miracle of childbirth. Come on. <laughs> this is women. It's not birthing people. It's women. Um, this left-wing notion that, you know, they're all just the same men and women. I mean, it's just false. It's just false. Um, the, the most frequent way we hear about it now tends to be with athletics and young women who are in high school or college and a young men who feel that they are young women who are allowed to race against them to defeat them over and over. Surprise, no, because men are bigger generally, they have bigger hearts, they have bigger bones, they have stronger muscles. They're going to beat the girls every time. What? How incredibly unfair to rob young women of the opportunity for athletic victories by having them race against biological boys, regardless of how they feel. They're boys, they're biological boys, and they're physically very, very different. Um, another area where there's a huge difference between men and women is in intimacy. And we have a little book on this. It's called a play on uh, uh, Jane Austen, Sense and Sexuality, College Girls to Real Protection in Hooked Up World. And much as I like to moralize myself and pound the death, this is medical and real scientific. It's about the differences between men and women when it comes to intimacy, even just kissing and hugging. We have, as women, a hormone that comes out with intimacy that's the same hormone when we're nursing our babies. We tend to bond, we tend to fall in love, whereas most men, not all, are ready to move on to the next one. And this is something that moms and dads used to tell their daughters. <laughs> My answer told me many a time. They don't tell them as much anymore. It's like, oh, just do whatever it feels like. But it's very different between men and women. So what we try to do with this little booklet written by a very distinguished uh, former counselor at a college who said, uh, you know, come December, January, these incredibly talented young women, academically talented, healthy, athletic, from good families, would be terribly depressed or sometimes ready to kill themselves because they got caught up in this hookup culture and they just and the boys would move on and there they were promiscuity you know starting out college and they would say to her oh doctor if only someone had told me about the differences between men and women so we tell them in this <laughs> this is oh. our most popular booklet over 28 years we still get a tremendous number of orders so you know, the, the popular notion that men and women are just the same. No, we're not. We're intellectual equals. We should have equal opportunity in all ways, but we're very different. And we need to teach our girls to celebrate the differences, celebrate, love men. We love men here at Loose. We don't work with them. We don't even have any men speakers because we just want to do women. But we're married. We have sons. But women are very different. And I'll tell you one thing my grandmother used to say, God bless her. And people say, oh, you shouldn't say this. Of course, she's, she's long gone now. But she used to say, this was during the early equal rights. And she would say, why would any woman want to step down to equality with a man? <laughs> well, that's funny. You know, it's it, you know, one thing I think was, is I, I feel like there's this um, image a lot of times that people have of conservatives um, as if we're scolds and we're trying to be, um, you know, moralizing and trying to... Um, 
make girls act in one way or fit into some gender norms. And one thing I thought was really, I think is really important and is kind of, and, um, and I think you capture this very well in your book is that this isn't about trying to force any, um, any girl to act a certain way, any woman to act a certain way, we really are starting with the science. Um, and I do think it's, it's when we, uh, you talk some about the, um, the idea of these innate sex differences that are present in children at, at birth. And um, yeah. that doesn't mean that you need to, you know, if your daughter's playing with a truck, you know, that's great. Or if your son's right. playing with a doll, more power right. to him. You know, this, is, right. um, this isn't this is about norming people, but that you also shouldn't be afraid of the opposite and not, um, and I do think that especially when it comes to um, so much of our culture, I feel like has started to see those traits that are associated with femininity, like if your daughters are playing with with dolls and are doing those kind of homemaking type of right. Um, right. of interest and, and play, that that's something like emergency, you gotta steer her away from this and um, get her in an engineering class right. quick. And I think that, I feel personally, I think that's a little misogynistic where it's as though we are, have ashamed, women right. should be ashamed of the instinct um, to nurture, to do things like oh, things right. like that. So, right. um, so yes, yeah, right. so I think I, so. I liked the way you kind of handled sex differences, and that it's not about trying to push no. anybody towards anything, no. but um, but but not also like diminishing what what women have to or that in, intrinsic femininity. That's right. And, and I mean, a girl who's more of a quote tomboy who likes to make mud pies and climb trees, good. Let her do yeah. it. Let her be what God <laughs> made her to be. Very often those girls turn out to be the beauty queens uh, a few years later. Um, and little boys who want to play with dolls, okay. You yeah, know, sure. they have stuffed animals, they play with them. Um, the, the horror of this whole transgender movement, from what I've read, is that many of these, especially the, the young boys who decide they want to be girls, by the time they're 18 or 20, they're back to being boys. But if you do these dreadful hormonal treatments and surgeries, too late. Um, let kids be kids, let them be what they are, let it go naturally, but there's a whole different agenda now. Um, and to me, I, I call those kind of treatments uh, a kind of dreadful child abuse. Um, one other thing on boy-girl, um, I've always said, no, it's nature, not nurture, but I was blessed to have twin grandchildren, a boy and a girl, and I thought, well, now we're gonna see, let me just watch, <laughs> it's nature. It's nature from about two weeks old. They were different in the way they responded and reacted. You can give uh, the little girl a truck and she rocks it and talks to it. I mean, she's the classic <laughs> little girl. You can give him uh, a doll and it becomes a projectile. It's, and the parents are totally neutral. In fact, the mother, she's a wonderful mother, my daughter-in-law, and um, she's, she's very athletic. She's very uh, interested in sort of boy things as well as girl things. But I know she treated them exactly alike and the father too. It's nature. They're yeah. born differently. And I saw it with these twin uh, grandchildren who are such a blessing to us, um, but not all, you know, some, it, it varies tremendously. Let kids be kids, let them be what God made them and then see how it develops. But don't be yeah, slicing yeah. things and hormones and horrible things for 14 year olds, good grief. <laughs> well, it is, it's interesting because um, you talked about it a little, you wrote a little bit in, um, in some of the different phases. And I do think as a, again, a mother of daughters, you often yeah. do have, I feel like girls around nine often do get into kind of tomboy and I don't want to yes. think, and I don't want to be a princess. Yep. And, right, and it right. is interesting having kind of been on the other side of that now and seeing teenage yeah. girls that that was a, a little, that was a win. This is, seems like a, a window and it often comes back. I know it doesn't for everybody. Right. There's obviously people yeah. who really do have, have issues, but I would yep. caution parents that, um, you know, for my limited experience that, um, that, 
uh, that a lot of this, there are different natural phases. Um, you shouldn't assume that all this is quite so sticky. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I want to go on to well, another um, message that you talk a lot about, and this kind of, um, I think, dovetails um, out of this. And again, it's almost, I feel like you do a really good job busting some myths about um, what conservatives, when we talk about what we see for our daughters, um, the year when you, you talk about the different ideas of work and family. And I think it's really important. I want everybody out there to know that if you, you know, if you should get a copy of this book, and one thing you will see is that you're not trying to push these young women to go be stay-at-home moms, which I think is often the like cartoon version of what a conservative woman is wants for her daughter. Um, instead, you really talk about um, about valuing what you're doing, about um, to, taking seriously what you're doing, whether that's work or whether that's family, appreciating family's important role. Um, but you're not really trying to make a choice between that stay-at-home mom versus work, working mom, um, you know, right. <laughs> paradigm. That's right. We know whether moms and dads are working or at home, that a strong, close-knit family is, it increases the odds of a stable, happy life for young men and young women. We know that. Um, family's the best defense against poverty and, uh, and the best source of life, uh, of, of love and, and, and lifelong support. Um, having said that, you know, um, Many moms do work now, and, and most dads work, but some dads are at home. And uh, the truth is that um, for married moms and dads, you, you, you use your marriage to show your children what love is about, what commitment is about. Um, and if, you're, if you happen to be raising your daughter alone, either a man or a woman, and that happens, sometimes life gets messy, things happen, you can still use this uh, uh, family first approach, building relationships with aunts and uncles, building uh, uh, relationships with the church family, but understanding the importance of family um, and how it keeps, it makes kids feel secure and makes them happy. That's really key. Now, the other part of it, um, I have another chapter called hard work is virtue. <laughs> and uh, an interesting thing I've noticed among these many young women we work with I've asked them over the years, what, what do you think so uh, the most important things to, if you, you have a daughter to raise and serve, you know the number one thing that came up over and over and over again? Have a job. Have a job when you're in high school. Um, many of us think of our first jobs. Um, people usually smile when they talk about their first job. What was it? I can tell you mine was in a, a movie theater and uh, I was 16 and I was only allowed to work on uh, non-school nights. And, it, and of course, my parents went and checked it out, supervisor, who was that, who would be with me and all. But it was um, it was uh, the, the candy uh, counter and the popcorn machine. Sometimes I sold tickets. And uh, uh, I grew up in a family where my dad uh, tended to be dominant. And every night at the dinner table, almost, he would, he would complain about the size of government and taxes and how it prevented our family from, from our middle class family from doing what we want to do. Well, my first paycheck, I remember uh, minimum wage was $1.25. This shows you how old I am. And this huge chunk taken out for taxes. And I got to tell you, that taught me more than all of my dad's lectures. Very, <laughs> very uh, good learning experience for me uh, as a young woman about a basic sort of policy government issue. Uh, working teaches them to get to know people other than perhaps just like their family. Um, it teaches them responsibility, teaches them they're worthwhile, they get paid for what they do. So work for young people is really key. Young women is really key. Supervised, of course, 
um, and in safe places. Um, my kids all worked and uh, it was good. It was good for them. Yeah. They learned a lot from it. And then the other part of it is back in the old days, there were many conservatives, Carrie, who said, you know, uh, it's just wrong for a woman to be out of the house um, working. She should be home full time with her children. And, you know, that's a point of view. Um, you, you find less of it now, just basic economics. Women, uh, awful lot of women need to work. But one of my arguments that I make in the book is that if all the conservative women are home and they're not out in public uh, speaking about these issues like you are, like I am, that just clears the field for left-wing liberal feminist women to represent all women. And we know that would be a false representation. So families sometimes do sacrifice for women like you and me who go out and promote the policies we truly believe in and things have to be shuffled. I was blessed. My mom and dad lived across the street for 20 years. I was truly blessed. Uh, oh, they weren't funny. the babysitters, but they watched the babysitters and the yeah. movie <laughs> for little. Um, and that made it possible for me to have the career that I have. People say, oh, how can you stand living so close to your parents? I loved my parents. I was very close to them. And I was truly blessed to have them there. And my kids were healthy. I mean, there's so many different, my sons were healthy. There's so many different um, things that, so individual, the husband, the wife, does he does he do what he should? Do you do what you should? Do you have help like that? Do you have the economic means uh, to get help? But the core argument I make is that if all of our conservative women were just home full time with the kids, what a disaster. What a disaster yeah. for the policy discussion. We need to be out there, whether it's full time, whether it's part time, whether it's a volunteer, whether you're working. The conservative women need to, to be out there working and that's that's sort of the work the work yeah issue. you know i really I, I thought it was interesting not only this idea of, of um you talk a little bit and, and you go through different ages of the idea of what kind of of work and learning the idea of the value of money the value of time kind of that feeling of self-worth when you do right. either get your allowance if you're a littler kid or get that yep. first paycheck when you're an right. older kid um mm -hmm. But I also thought it was interesting um, about how, as a, the grown-up, as the, the parent, how we talk about work. Um, and I found like I was very, it was, um, was helpful to me, it was a reminder um, of how important it is not to complain. You know, I love my job, I have a great job, I love being a mom, it's a, it's a great job being a mom, um, but that doesn't mean I sometimes don't complain about both. And um, I need to be careful when I do that in front of my kids because right. I need to make sure that they do remember that, um, yeah, that, that that working and being a parent is um, is a vocation that is incredibly rewarding for me personally. I'm not just right. doing it for them, if that That's makes right. sense. That's right. My dad used to say nine out of 10 people um, don't like their jobs. And he'd say to you and my husband, you love your jobs. You're it's a mission for you. You, you know, you're working on things you yeah. really care about and you are blessed. Um, but uh, it's true that for some people, jobs are just to put food on the table and, and they do the best they can. But if you can find a job that you like, and this is one thing we tell young women, um, find a profession that you love because no matter how much you love it, there's gonna be times when it's gonna be like, uh, just like raising kids. I mean, I cannot imagine life without our children, but there's times when you just wanna pull your hair out. Um, of course. But that's, that's the way things that matter in life, like raising children, like a profession you care about, like a good marriage, these are hard. These are hard. Uh, I, I tell the girls the most important decision they're going to make in the next 50 years is who they marry. You can get it wrong and you can recover, but don't get it wrong. Get it right. Get it right. And um, and 
you got to work at it. And it's, it's hard. It's not easy. It's hard. All those things are hard. But the things in life that mean the most, that are the most worthwhile, they are hard. Yeah. I loved I, I wrote down that this um, this line that um, that you wrote, I tell girls that they can be um, stay at home moms or successful working mothers or a mix of both. It's up to them. But whatever they choose, hard work is required. I right. thought that was like a, a good, a really nice way to put it um, and motivating, because I do think um, one of the kind of themes in your in your book is this idea of hard work not being a bad thing, that in fact, it's a it's a good thing. Um, and you don't have to like every minute of something for it to be worth sticking with. Um, and that that value and that those rewards come at the end. And I do think raising a, a child, a child you're proud of, um, that certainly it's hard work, but what could be better, right? That's right, that's right. And hard work is central to both the American dream and our country and our girls' personal development. Hard work is a good thing. And this notion from, uh, I think it was AOC. Remember she had that line where she said, um, uh, we encourage economic security for all who are unable or unwilling to work. Unwilling to work. <laughs> I mean, how, how could she yeah. say that with a straight face? It's just, it's just yeah. ridiculous. That's rough. And you know, yeah. And it's funny because I, when I hear that, I think of, of what a, um, what a tremendous, like, um, like the, the danger of low expectations, which is something yeah. as a parent, I feel like you want to expect the, the most. But your know, policy leaders shouldn't have expect so little for the for people's own, for own good. But I want to quickly. I feel like you're bringing up AOC. That's um, it's a kind of good segue into some of the the things that you you go through a number of institutions in the um, in your book um, that are kind of are challenging. Um, and it's I want to start with schools because um, I think not that long ago um, I don't think my parents felt this back in um, you know, I was born in the early 70s yeah. that. Um, they sure didn't think of schools as like a detriment to raising a healthy and happy child. Um, and certainly, um, you know, I don't think that they thought it was going to play a role in politics where if you talk to most conservatives, um, well, at first, if you talk to a lot of parents who they think they're disturbed about what's in their schools, they worry about what's in their schools. They don't always think that the schools are doing um, are putting kids interest first. And then certainly as a conservative, that's even more so because you hear of everything um, on the um, po political that goes on, it's very one-sided. So can you talk a little bit about this, um, about A, like the problems of the schools, and then also what parents should be thinking of how to navigate this? Right. There was a time in America where most all teachers and parents and then children and school administrators shared the same values. And so you could totally trust the teacher uh, with with your child. And this this was pretty much me growing up, I started school in 1955, kindergarten, wonderful uh, government schools uh, in New York where I grew up. But it's not that way anymore. Um, there's tremendously different values. Um, and we see it in, in all kinds of ways. We see it the way, the way America's founding is taught, for example. Um, the truth is that our founding fathers formed government to protect our rights that came from God. Our rights come from God, not from government. I would venture to say that is taught in very few schools, but that is a fact. And if you don't believe your rights come from God, they come from government, well, there goes the whole liberal entitlement agenda and oh, what government can do for us. No, government can protect our rights. And it's laid out pretty clearly in the, in the Declaration of Independence. Remember that line in there where it says, uh, we're endowed by our creator with unalienable rights. Unalienable means you cannot take them away. <laughs> so, you know, this fooling with the Constitution and the amendments, 
That is totally wrong. Okay, how is that taught in most government schools? Well, I don't think it's taught that way. Somebody would say, oh, that's just too religious, even though it's true. Um, you look at this uh, critical race theory, which so many of these schools are looking into now teaching, um, you know, little kids, little kids, five, six-year-olds, that the color of your skin determines whether you're a racist or you're a victim. Um, you look at other history, the 1619 Project, where American history and founding is all about slavery. That's just false. That's just false. So, yeah, parents have got to watch it very closely. Um, you're finding all over the country eruptions from parents who are trying to recall school boards who are doing crazy stuff. Right here in Virginia, where we are, Loudoun County is the next county. Whoa, they're trying to recall that school board because of all the crazy stuff they're doing. Here in Fairfax County, where I live, um, 12 school board members, 11 raised their hand to say, yes, the little boys can go into the bathroom with the little girls if they're feeling like girls on that day. I mean, it's crazy stuff. <laughs> what happened to privacy when you're using the toilet, when you're in the locker room, the shower, you know, the big uh, communal showers. So it's very different today. The schools uh, are very different. And I can tell you my own experience, I had the kids in and out of public. Mostly I had them in private because boy, these, these boys needed some strong religious uh, instruction and, and they all turned out well, but Sometimes the private schools are as bad as the government schools. Um, so you've got to be very careful. Post COVID, you're seeing a huge surge in homeschooling yeah. <laughs> because in one or the other parent's gonna stay home. They've seen on the computer when they're doing online, dear Lord, is this what the kids are learning? So yeah, schools are a huge issue for parents now. It's much harder to be a parent today than it was 20 or 30 years ago. Um, yeah. And it's interesting. I found it, you know, I, I feel like I talk, a, I, I talk a lot about the need for parents to have more leverage. Um, you know, if my, my kids are all in public school, um, in public school, it would just wouldn't be um, practicable for me to be able to send five kids to a private school. But you're right that then right. in some private schools, you'd have to be awfully careful as well. And I do think that um, the challenge you kind of lay out in the book, um, and, but you provide some kind of a good rubric for it is, um, is we have to be involved. You can't, you can't hand this off to um, schools because you just can't trust. You've got to be an active participant. Otherwise, right. you don't know what's going right. to be going on. That's right. And homeschooling is just not a practical option for many parents. And there, I'll tell you, there are times when I thought about it, but I just decided that <laughs> I love my sons. They're so wonderful. But I couldn't get them to pick up their socks sometimes. I thought, how could I get to do their assignments? <laughs> I mean, I just... Um, God didn't make me a teacher of little kids. In a sense, my job here is a teacher in a much broader sense. But those moms and dads who do the homeschooling, God bless them. Yeah. That is a commitment. That is real parental involvement. I give them huge credit. But for most of us uh, who are working, it's, it's, not, it's just not an option. So you've just got to be eternally vigilant. Uh, of what your kids are being taught. And, you know, one of the things I talk about in terms of what can you do, dinner, dinner, okay? I'm a big advocate of dinner and it's hard. The kids are doing sports and mom and dad maybe are traveling, working late, but every night that you can, you should have dinner and you should use that uh, as, a, as an opportunity to talk about these issues. Talk about what's going on in school, be alert to it um, and listen. Because if you want the kids, you know from your kids, you can't just bleep, bleep, bleep at them. And I, I tend to do that. <laughs> you got to elicit things from them with good open-ended questions and find what's going on. And you need to be in touch with the teacher as well. Um, but dinner table conversations are a wonderful time 
to start a talk to children about principles you believe in. For example, any five or six-year-olds watching on the news with you, they watch the news, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of these poor bedraggled uh, people from Central America trudging uh, all kinds of hardships to come to America. Why don't they go to Venezuela, which is half the distance as here? This is a wonderful opportunity to explain the difference between freedom and socialism. That's a socialist country where the government runs everything. They don't go there. They don't get on rafts and paddle and paddle out to Cuba. Why not? Because America is a free country. So, I mean, I try to make suggestions in the book for ways that you can you can start a talk with even very young children about some core principles that we as conservatives believe in. Yeah, well, that's interesting. And, and I like that you've got to, um, I'm sure that some of the, the way that kids are uh, getting this in the news wouldn't make that conclusion of why nobody is going in the opposite direction to get into Cuba right. versus versus, um, right. versus out. I want to talk, I want, I want to like, um, we were talking a little bit about K through 12 schools um, and then we had to college. Um, and I think that, um, you know, my impression, and I do think when I think of the challenges between a girl, young women and young men who are going off to college, if you're, if you're a parent and you think about the, the forces of where you have a, uh, you think you've done it, gotten pretty close to having a conservative daughter and then you're going to send her off to college. Right. It's, you know, that's rough because of the forces that are going, that are going to greet her there. Can you talk a little bit about that, about the challenge of higher ed in general? And then what, right. what are your recommendations for, right. you know, I think parents need to be aware for sure of the, yeah. of what, what they're going to be up against. And then also just some ways to navigate it. Yeah. I mean, it's very, it's a very challenging time when, when you send your kids off to college. I, I know even with my own, while they were conservative, the social life can be quite dominant. <laughs> You know, <laughs> sure. um, it, it's just it's just a freedom that, in my opinion, n- not all children are ready for at 18. Um, sure. I'm a huge proponent of now that I didn't do it. Uh, community colleges, maybe for a year or two um, to see if they're serious about ac- academics before you spend 50,000 a year on some school. Um, if you've been working on these issues all along the way, um, you can feel a little more secure but even some of those people, they feel they lose the, the, their, their girls. I think uh, encouraging them to get involved with conservative groups on campus. There's a load of them now. It's a wonderful thing. And to be with like-minded uh, young people. And some girls, you know, they find that in a sorority. It's, uh, you go to a big campus and how do you find your identity? Well, it's, it's your group of friends that tends to uh, suggest how you, you ought to behave. Um, but it, it, it's very tough. There are some wonderful schools. Uh, Larry Arn loves me because I always say, if I had it to do over, when my kids were seniors in college, I would say, you can go to Hillsdale, or you can go to work. Bit <laughs> <laughs> of an exaggeration. My third went to Hillsdale. What a wonderful school. He has the best education of all. Not that everything was conservative, but it's, it's, it's a structure. It's a, not that Kids don't misbehave at Hillsdale, but so many of the schools and the girls that we work with talk about how they have to write liberal papers. Um, they have to stifle themselves in class. They're on scholarships. They got to get an A uh, in order to be successful. That's outrageous. That's outrageous. Yeah. Um, well, so yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Toughest. Yeah, it's interesting when you talk when you talk about it, I do think that a lot of people, if you're not kind of in the trenches and thinking about kind of feminism and the kind of the culture surrounding women right. and public policy, people right. don't recognize 
um, just how political and one-sided a women's studies department is in a university. Um, but yep. they should pay attention. They should. I mean, those those uh, courses, those uh, departments, they never mention conservative women except perhaps to condescend or ridicule them. They they love, for example, Phil Shafley, God rest her soul. She she, she spoke first a number of times before she passed on. Um, she used to love to do debates for us and for other groups. And she would debate feminists and she would say, and she just loved to pull their strings. She would say, I'm only here tonight because Fred let me come. <laughs> her husband, oh, they were going crazy. You know, she would, she would do that thing. Um, but Phyllis Shafley is never mentioned, even the incredible thing she did to stop the Equal Rights Amendment back in the 70s by mobilizing millions of what were then full-time housewives. She never gets credit for that. Claire Booth Lewis, who our institute, uh, our, our Center for Conservative Women is named after. She's never she's never mentioned except in a, a snide and obnoxious way. You know, great Congress uh, Congresswomen and senators like Senator Blackburn. It's all about liberal left wing feminist socialist Marxist women. That's what women's studies are. It's absurd. And sometimes our girls will go and say, well, you know, could I come? You know, could I listen? They find out who they are. They say, no, you're not welcome here as a young conservative. Yeah. <laughs> it's outrageous. <laughs> That is, that's, you know, and one of the, you write a little bit about um, um, one of the things that's most frustrating to me when it comes to some of the, the policy debates and um, and kind of the misrepresentations, and that's the wage gap. Um, and I find it, I hope, I, I hope, I liked that you kind of addressed it, because I do think it's one that parents need to be ready to push right. back on. Because right. something, um, you know, it's interesting when, you, even as we're talking about this, I keep wanting to make sure that any listener out there who hears us kind of using this word feminism as if, um, you know, as if it's, and we, we take for granted that you and I know what we're talking about, but of right. course you and I very much believe in women's equality and equal rights and all of those things right. that women can be whatever right. they want to be. Yes. Um, right. But that's not really what the feminist movement is about anymore. Frankly, the mm -hmm. feminist movement isn't really very focused on women anymore. No. Um, and certainly when it comes to something like the wage gap, I think it's an incredibly disempowering message for women to disguise, to really distort the statistics about how earnings relates to, you know, how, how, how women end up earning what they do based on the choices they make. Right, right. And uh, actually uh, your organization, the Independent Women's Forum, did a study that I have used for years showing that similarly situated young men and young women, similarly educated, especially when the women have not married, have children yet, women's wages are higher, just yeah. slightly. Um, and they, the, the feminists and the, uh, the left will never take into account the choices that we as women make. I'm an attorney. I've been working in Washington now almost 50 years. Uh, I, I graduated law school in 80. So if I had been in a big bucks law firm here in Washington since uh, 1980, I can assure you my salary would be much higher than it is as the head of a nonprofit. And I'm not saying I don't work hard. I work very hard. But we make choices that allow us more flexibility for our husbands, our families. And for me, my aging parents lived across the street um, and we saw them through illnesses and they passed on. I had a little bit more flexibility in this position than I would have as a lawyer in one of those big firms. That's a decision I made. Their numbers take none of that into account. Um, and and it's totally absurd. <laughs> it's funny. I always I one one thing that frustrates me when I'm that you think about all of the I took women's studies classes. I went through a kind of a leftist period in college, and um, I took women's studies classes that talked all about like the um, different lenses. And um, and I remember thinking when I first started really reading about the wage gap of what kind of a male lens it was to assume that 
that we should we should judge everything. We should judge our careers, our earnings, almost our worth based on how much money you were making. And yes. I thought it's it's funny because a lot of women out there who decide, you know, instead of going for that extra however many thousand bucks and, and a salary, I'd rather be able to be like get off at four or have that flexibility to be home when right. my kids get off the bus. You know, are we supposed to lecture our girls and our um, or young women that they're making a mistake and making that choice? You know, I don't know that everybody at their deathbed is going to be saying, boy, I wish I worked a little harder and gotten that last, you know, helped close the wage gap. It's, it's so much common sense. I mean, why do so many women choose to be teachers? In fact, my dad, God rest his soul, he he sent me through school. I got a degree in psych, but with teacher certification. And I did it for just a little bit. Uh, and I really wasn't enjoying it. I was living home. You know, I was ready to fly the coop. And I came to Washington and uh, started out at a front, front desk job in a conservative organization. And he was very distraught. He said, look, you want to have your summers off for your children. You want to, um, uh, you know, you want to have a little more flexibility in the length of your day and all that. And, it, and as I got on and was raising the kids and not ever having any of that, I said, my gosh, Daddy, you were right about that. But, <laughs> you know, it was a choice I made. But there's... There's choices that women make to allow them to live their lives, women and men, husbands, usually they do this together, to live their lives the way they want, to have time to do the things that are important to them. And, uh, you know, the feminists just will not acknowledge that, most of them. Um, yeah, just, and I did. Yeah, I, yeah. I thought that was really helpful advice and kind of a focus on encouraging your girls to recognize they have to make choices. Um, and that there will be sacrifices. You can't, right. you know, you can be a mix of a working mom and, a, um, right. and you know, to work and have families, but that, that there will be trade-offs and you have to kind of pursue your own, your own vision of happiness, but have, That's have right. that, um, That's right. you know, and know what you're doing. There's a thousand different ways to do it. I mean, so much depends on, as I said, the most important decision you can make in the next 50 years. You know, do you have healthy children? I had three healthy sons. Do you have your mom and dad across the street? Have you chosen a profession that gives you the kind of flexibility that you want? Um, your own health. What's your energy level? I'm 71 and I'm still high energy. But, you know, a lot of people don't have different points of view, uh, different abilities. So there's no one way, one thing for everybody, for every woman. And that's what some of these feminists and leftists cannot acknowledge. Yeah. And it's interesting. I really like, I know that this is something that um, your organization has prioritized. And I love that you kind of close out your book by looking at some of those feminists or those, you know, and I do think they deserve the title feminist, but those female role models um, who right. were true trailblazers. You mentioned um, Phyllis Schlafly, but you also talk about Margaret Thatcher and, um, and, a, and a number of conservative right. leaders today who right. certainly aren't getting the treatment in the um, in women's magazines or in social media that liberal leaders um, get. Are there any that you feel like parents should kind of have in their head as, you know, be sure your daughter knows about, about her? Well, you know, uh, looking at leaders today, if you just sort of watch Fox, <laughs> you're going to see some of the most outstanding women. I was uh, flicking around yesterday and Senator Blackburn was on, Blackburn from Tennessee, yep. talking about this horror that uh, President Biden has given us in Afghanistan. Very strong, very, 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 very moving. Uh, some of our governors, um, you know, some of our wonderful conservative speakers, and then ones who have passed, they need to talk about people like Margaret Thatcher. I mean, suppose Margaret Thatcher had stayed home uh, to watch her kids. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's a very noble profession, but think of the difference uh, in England, uh, in the world. You know, she she uh, partnered with uh, 
Ronald Reagan, they did incredible things. Um, and uh, of course, uh, Phyllis, we mentioned Claire Booth Luce, what an amazing woman she was. It was She was the age of, of, of my great-grandmother, probably your great-great-grandmother because you're younger. It was unbelievable the things she did back then when women were not at the podium. We have a big picture here in our office. I hope you'll come see us sometime. It's the 1944 Republican National Convention. She's like this. She's given the keynote speech. She lays into Roosevelt, President Roosevelt. She said he lied us into war. I grew up in a family where they all said that. It was a military family. Um, she was so ahead of her time. She was a congresswoman when they were like 10. She was yeah. editor of Vanity Fair. She was basically homeschooled. Her father was uh, an itinerant musician. He left the family before she was grown. But um, so they moved from town to town. She had four, four, four years of, uh, of, of formal schooling. And what an incredible career, a writer, a speaker. Um, why don't they teach about conservative yeah. women? Because it's not about women. It's about left-wing liberalism. Yeah, it is interesting. I think Margaret Thatcher is one of those where um, you imagine, I feel like you, all of the kind of hero worship that goes on with somebody like a, um, yep. Mrs. Clinton yep. and um, you know, just this idea of you, you have these other, you know, which I feel like in her story, I don't mean to be um, dismissive of Mrs. Clinton, but this idea that she, you know, she was the wife of a president before she kind of had her own career. And where you have somebody like Maggie Thatcher, where my goodness, you want to inspire you. Know, she came from a really um, fairly modest family. And um, yes. you know, why aren't we talking about her? Why aren't girls taught about, about right. her? Can she changed, right. changed the course of history. I actually got to meet her in London once uh, with a group that was over there. And um, this was during the time when they were saying she was senile and she was gone. And she talked to each person. We each got to sit with her and have a picture. And I told her just a little bit about what Claire Booth Lewis Center for Conservative Women is. And she took my hand, and this is the picture I have. She said, you are doing a wonderful thing for America. <laughs> oh, how so wonderful. With that picture. She was such a wonderful leader. Um, yeah. And then they did that dreadful movie with Meryl Streep, who's a fine actress, but to make her sound like she was a nitwit for years and years, um, she, she, they just, yeah, this is it's very it's, conservative it is, women. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. I think that as we, you know, um, that is another kind of topic that we haven't touched on, which you do a really good job in, in your book talking about is kind of dealing with this media. Um, and as a parent thinking about the role you're trying to, it's it's funny because I feel like, um, you know, growing up in the 80s, um, my parents, when they had to kind of control media, I was going to watch, it was making sure I didn't get to, you know, yeah. to a rated R movie or, right. you know, turning off right. the television. Yeah. Or my goodness, you know, I, today as a parent, I've got to police my kid's computer. They're forced to be on computers for school right. all the time. Right. It's what they have in their hand or who with their child's cell phone. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's it's really, it's an incredibly complicated and a uh, challenge. So do you have any, what, what advice do you have for parents um, yeah. when it comes to, yeah. to kind of navigating that? I think that many parents don't understand as you do how powerful social media is. Um, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, it's immensely influential and parents largely fail to uh, fail to uh, restrict it in any way. I don't think you can ban it, but I think you can restrict it. And I'd like to give this example. Back when my boys were growing up in their 30s and one is 40s, um, TV was the bad guy, the time waster. So our rule was on school nights, there was no TV. So that was only two nights a week they would be watching TV. And what did they do during the other times? They read, they played sports, they had musical instruments, they did art, they were in church groups because they couldn't sit home and watch TV. Well, I would argue today's parents, you need to restrict the social media. 
however you want to do it, you know, take, take it away for whatever, however many hours and encourage them to get involved in, in the more fulfilling things, you know, the, the empty online life, some kids are just totally focused on it. And it, it can be very damaging. It's, it, it just, it, it, it puts before them these idealized, beautiful women, you know, extravagant materialism. If you can encourage them to, to do more fulfilling things, church things, synagogue things, art, music, uh, read books. You have to read books, mom and dad, as a role model. If you don't start, you have to read books. I recommend in How to Raise a Conservative Daughter, just a few books, some in history, some general, good books. Get your kids reading books and then get them reading good books. And you have to read good books. And these kind of things are so much better to fill their life than the emptiness and the phoniness of so much social media. I really believe it needs to be restricted uh, more than most parents do. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting. I love that you kind of challenge um, parents um, to be good models because um, I know that that um, a lot of parents out there, both and kind of in their personal lives, but then also as parents, spend an awful lot of time making sure that they have really cute pictures of their kids doing X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, but and that's that's fine. But it's um, but that doesn't replace kind of actually doing that hard work of making sure you're spending enough quality time with your kid and you're putting your right. own phone down as a, as a model That's and not right. always just staring at screens it's yourself. It's hard. It's hard. So many moms yeah. are working. We're so busy. It's so hard. You got to close up the phone. You got to close up the laptop. You got to stop and you got to talk and you got to ask open-ended questions and you got to think of ways to teach them things uh, about America and patriotism and, and service. I'm really big on service, not the mandatory volunteerism that so many schools have. What an oxymoron that is. You know, um, I, it's a folly. Forced service, it's, it forces kids to go through the motions and resent. But real volunteerism, whether it's a church, whether it's uh, with people in your family, neighbors. My mother was very ill for 10 years. And my kids, we, we couldn't have managed without her. They did so much for her. But when it came to their high school, and this was a private high school, and they had to do, you know, so many hours of service. They weren't allowed to spend the time with their grandmother. <laughs> they had to go to some uh, other places with older people that they didn't know or care about. <laughs> and uh, they weren't allowed. I mean, this is this mandatory yeah. volunteerism. It's crazy. But getting your kids involved in service in their in their church or the synagogue, that's a great thing for them to do. Helping the older neighbors, you know, shovel their walks, um, help them carry their groceries in, all that kind of stuff. You're teaching them to be good in their heart too, which is money can't buy that. Yeah, well, that's that's great. You know, I love, I, we're getting close to or we're, or we're gonna be wrapping up. So I wanted to, I love this one quote and I thought it was kind of a good, almost like summary. And um, when you say parents need to make sure that they themselves raise their children, not government, not school and not pop culture. And that sounds like it would be pretty easy, but I know that's a really big challenge for us. It is. It's not easy at all. It's very, very hard to be a parent. And I don't suggest that it is easy. And I think that um, most parents are doing their best. But what I suggest in this book is some more things, better things, better use of time to shape their daughters uh, a little better than uh, than what they're doing. Um, it's it's hard to be a parent. It's hard to be a young woman in today's world. Harder than when you were young, certainly harder than when I was young. Um, and it takes a lot of effort, a lot of strategy, a lot of love. We're going to make mistakes. I make mistakes. You make mistakes. Kids are going to sure. make mistakes. You have to be forgiving. I believe in redemption. Um, but it's not easy. And I'm hoping that as people read this book, 
they'll have some nice sort of gentle but specific ideas for things they can do maybe a little differently. If their kids are young, they can start quite young. If they're already in high school or college, well, start now. Start doing these things um, so that she has a better chance at a wonderful, happy life um, and uh, appreciates the goodness that is in her. Yep. Well, I think this is, you know, this is a great place to close up. I'm so, I'm so grateful to you for writing this book. I am grateful that you're out there um, kind of fighting the good fight and trying to mentor so many conservative um, women. So I appreciate this. I encourage everybody to, um, to check out the book. Be sure to get a copy. Um, and the Michelle, thanks so much for talking with me today. Well, thank you so much. What wonderful questions you asked. Um, I really enjoyed this. And I so admired the work of you and your organization over the years as well. Thank right. you. Well, thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to C-SPAN's Afterwards podcast. Be sure to check out our Lectures in History podcast. This week, a lecture on the 1893 New York Draft City riots and Civil War newspapers. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.